The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. It's with great pleasure today to have Malcolm DeLeo, who is the chief evangelist um, for Quantified, a company based out in California. Welcome, Malcolm. Hi, how are you? Nice to be here. Thanks. Thank you for taking the time. Of course. I I love your title, chief evangelist. Um, What does it mean, Malcolm? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty funny. I often uh, I often go into many meetings, and I've made a habit of when I, you know, everyone goes around and introduces themselves. I always kind of say, "Yeah, I'm the chief evangelist." I pause and I say, "You can laugh at my title," (laughs) and I do that to break the ice. And the definition I like to use of organizational evangelism is a person who can see out in the distance okay, and, and see a place, the true north of any company, come mm-hmm. back to today and build bite-sized pieces that lead others to that true north without really having any defined control. Mm-hmm. And so if we come to what the role is at a startup in particular, it's really about taking our technology and, and bringing it out to the market. People talk about product evangelism and all sorts of stuff. No, as a chief evangelist at a startup, my job is to help identify and build new markets for the company in particular. But the main focus is helping drive sales and drive services by helping understand which use cases the company should be developing, you know, taking a shot at developing those use cases with customers and ultimately how they scale and grow into um, things that the business can sell repeatedly and scalably over and over again. It's not just about being creative, but there is a creative aspect in terms of, you know, owning new things and trying to go places where others haven't. That makes sense. It's a startup within a startup almost. Absolutely. So give us a a little bit of background on Quantifying. I love the name, by the way. Yeah, I've I've been with Quantifying for five years. Prior to that, I worked at a company called NetBase. And I've spent probably my entire time in Silicon Valley kind of you know, helping people understand how to bring, how to use data intelligently so that they can make better business decisions faster. Okay. Quantifying is a great company because it was founded by um, two atomic physicists and people often chuckle and say, you know, what did that have to do with, you know, working in marketing and and working in, you know, uh, working in fraud. And, And the reality is, you know, our company, like every small or every Silicon Valley company or every startup that ever was, it doesn't matter which one, mm-hmm. we kind of all have one core competency. And, and Quantifying's core competency is finding signals and noise, right? Okay. There's all this data in the world. And, and the thing we like to say is um, unstructured data uh, has grown you know, 85% every three years. And, and uh, that data is, is so vast that companies that are able to... F- find the 10% of that data that matter or extract the signal from that data mm-hmm. are the ones that are going to win. So quantifying is kind of right to win it because we, you know, we take unstructured data and build mathematical algorithms that what I like to say create intelligence layers, like okay. you know, signal extractions on that data so you can make better decisions faster for your business. 
So to that end, Quantifying's goal is to identify use cases in large organizations where you know we can extract that uh, valuable signal from the data. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know we work with one large organization that has a number of crises. We've built an algorithm for them that helps them separate when you know something goes wrong in their business. Should they react or not? Right. right. If you're using traditional means that are out there around, you know, collecting social data day by day, you may react to how much people talk. You may react to how passionate they feel about something. But if it's not tied to something like viewership or revenue, an or outcome, an outcome, right? You may be reacting to the wrong things, and mm-hmm. that's kind of the core competency of a quantifier. So when you talk about unstructured data, is it? Is it primarily social data or are there other sources of data that you guys use for signals and detection? Absolutely not. If you think about it, the engine that the company's built, Mm -hmm. you know, has two sides to it. We like to say there's the unstructured side and the structured side. Okay. On each side, there's the third party data and the first party data. So for unstructured data, yes, it would be social. It would be things, you know, like Twitter or Instagram or forums. But there's also first party data where we could take in call logs or we could take in Survey. So, for example, in the restaurant industry, you know, or even in the retail industry, they are getting people to fill out surveys on their experience day in and day out. The mm-hmm. amount of surveys per day may be low, but when you add them up over thousands of restaurants or thousands of stores, imagine the number of unstructured comments that exist. Right. That that are that primarily go unused. Let me give you another example. If you've ever gone on an online chat. Sure. Sometimes you're on those online chats for 20 minutes. Right. And you're bantering back and forth with somebody. Mm-hmm. All that conversation tends to be unused by many companies. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the unstructured side. On the, on the structured side, clearly there's first party structured data. That would be whatever KPIs or key performance indicators a company has. But there are also third party third parties, like companies like IRI, you know, they track the beverage market. Mm-hmm. Or, um, now there's a lot of companies that have uh Receipt panels where they have two hundred, three hundred thousand people um, collecting, you know, collecting all their receipts. And if you collect enough receipts, you get a representative sample of sales for a company, and we can use that to link what people say to, you know, to how they buy, right? And and so the engine itself allows us to, you know, build these mathematical algorithms and then scale them so you it, you can in moment in real time query that data. So that's been, you know, that's the type of data we can take in. That's really exciting. So, so in within a client organization, who's typically using solutions that you guys, um, you know, provide? Is it does it sit in insights? Does it sit in marketing? Where does it sit? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, our 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 core people we like to work with is typically the CMO because the the CMO of the company is really thinking about how do I understand my consumers so I can create messages, products, campaigns to drive to them. But that's not the only group. I mean, clearly we can work with a market research group because um, as time has gone by, I think that the culture of the market research function has evolved to a place that, you know, they're very open to kind of newer ways of doing things, not simply primary research. Mm -hmm. We work with the head of data analytics, Sometimes social. We try to stay away from social. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a that's a that's a group that that over time, um, you know, has changed what its focus is. You know, a lot of social listening systems. You know, the main use case has become about social customer care. This is just my opinion, right? As well as in some cases, crisis management. These are minute by minute type solutions that 
that people need. On the on the fraud side of our business, we're working with like the anti money laundering people. Um, we're working, you know, with the heads of analytics, the AI teams. So, you know, as the organization evolves, who we deal with kind of varies. But it, it, on the brand side of the business in particular, we we want to talk to CMO. It's so interesting when you when I looked at your website, like there's such distinction between the verticals you you serve, right? There's the brands and the categories, but then there's this whole anti money laundering um, detection side of the business, which is which seems so polar opposite uh, yeah. compared to the, the the brand side of the business. Um, sure. But it's it's using the same principles, I would imagine, in terms of serving those clients. Absolutely, that's why what I said earlier is. Every kind of small company has worked one core competency. And right. ours is finding signals and noise, and in particular using unstructured data. So if you think about the, the money laundering part of our business, which is really fascinating, you know, there are processes, very standardized processes when you know large financial institutions see, for example, a transaction that is, you know, that is strange. And right. they have to make a call and 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 work with the government to decide. You know, do we flag this? Do we? What do we do about it? And you can imagine if you're using internal data only to try to figure that out, there's a lot of false positives that could ensue. So imagine bringing the the outside world to your fingertips to kind of match up what you know about you know you know an individual organization on the inside with what goes on on the outside, right? And right. of course, this is all public. You know, there's so much just public data. Yeah. You don't want, you don't need personal identifiable information. We never, ever want that. Mm-hmm. You never, you know, we just want the public stuff. That's why Twitter has become such a, a very powerful thing because it's, it's, you know, people question like, oh, my consumer isn't on Twitter. Here's the mistake I think people make when you're thinking about, you know, learning from this unstructured data source that's so vast. The thing that they make the mistake of is, you know, it's really, if you get clean data, it's really just the world's largest focus group Mm -hmm. going on minute by minute. So if you can capture those personal organic narratives, which is something we do, not the spam, not the bots, not the really clean data, you really, it's like sitting in in an unbiased focus group just collecting what people say. And so that information can give you a whole wide host, a whole host of information, like we said, about, you know, who a person is, what Mm -hmm. kind of business they have. There's a lot of just public data that you can use to find a signal that's linked to either, you know, a person, an organization, a brand, a campaign, a topic, whatever it is. Right. You know, it's interesting. I think yesterday I read that Nike just bought um, a data science company. I, I don't know if you saw that or not in the news. No, no. And, and and McDonald's also recently said that they were buying kind of these data science uh, organizations to kind of make sense of all the all the data they have internally. I, I, I'm curious, have you seen that trend where clients are actually, you know, brands are starting to take in tools in-house to kind of manage so much of this unstructured and structured data? Yeah, it's very interesting. I think that, um, you know, going back a little bit, when I helped kind of build the social listing market, working yeah. in the space, you know, that whole that whole point in time was like a reaction to people losing control of their brand. Like to, you know, social media went wild. And everyone's like, "How do I understand this at all?" So right. I can do something about it. So as it, coming forward, the data analytics market has been about taking control again mm-hmm. and helping companies know from all the information that's been out, that's out there what they can do to you know understand how to run their business better. No, to yeah. that end, it's logical that as these large data lakes are built inside huge organizations, 
that there's going to be a need to extract value, not only from the data on the outside, but the data on the inside. So it's not surprising they're buying those companies. The challenge I would say is, and, and you know, and this comes back from my days at Clorox when we when I was running partnering, people have to make a decision whether they want to make something, buy something, or partner to do something. That's so and true. The question, the question I would ask large organizations who are starting to invest in these internal capabilities, with all the things that they have to do, mm-hmm. is making it or buying it to bring it in-house the right thing when there are companies that spend all day, each and every day, trying to scale and come up with ways to, you know, to, to answer the very question they think they can do on their own. So, you know, again, for example, when I worked at Damon Worldwide, we were trying to build an internal warehouse, you know, off of off the shelf technology. And it was like years and years and years to try to build this thing for our customers. And the reality was you probably could have hired someone who spent all day every day doing it and right. done it for one fifth the cost, you know, in a few years. So answering your question, no, I, I'm not aware, aware of that particular buy. Yes, I think it's not surprising, but, you know, one of the challenges and probably the biggest pain in data that's out there is this concept of people have built these giant data lakes and they're now being held accountable to figure out how to extract value from those data lakes regularly, quickly. And the question I would ask them is, you know, can you hire enough data scientists? Do you have enough infrastructure? You know, are you working with cutting edge in order to assess that data to answer questions from it instantaneously? I bet there are companies out there that are building the infrastructure to really crunch on that data in real time faster than they can. I feel like we went from the days of, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have this data? Wouldn't it be nice to have this information to now, you know, companies are like, wow, to your point, we have data lakes. What are we going to do about it? And there's like this sense of urgency to figure it out. And you look at the, the companies that have a lot of data internally, just in terms of shopper purchase journey, which is like the, like the Amazons of the world. Right. And, and they're, they're already doing that internally. So I, I guess a lot of these other companies have to figure it out. But it will be interesting to see. I think we always see this kind of need for control and then this need for specialization over time. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. And it's interesting. And it goes back to what I said. If you look at Amazon or companies like that, if you built your company on the backbone of 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 assessing your own data extremely well from the beginning, okay, it makes more sense to make to make it yourself. But if you're a company that has been around a while or is in an industry where that's not best practice, then you're going to kind of be scrambling to say, we're going to get better at this. And sometimes having people that are more managers or facilitators of that process as opposed to, you know, yes, you need to have a great data lake. So yeah. it's just a question. This speaks to something that you and I talked about in the past, which is this concept of innovation and how it lives in a company and how do you actually kind of ignite it. And so it's not in the ivory tower of, oh, they're working on something. We don't know anything about it, but they're working on something innovative. What's your mm-hmm. philosophy in terms of, you know, I think at Damon, you you kind of were running the innovation process there. Yeah, I was. It was a really great, uh, it was a wonderful company to work for. And the person who hired me was an absolute, you know, he was an amazing leader. And, you know, there's a couple of things I would say when you're talking about innovation. The the one thing I like to say is I think, you know, 
culture is, it, it, you know, everybody talks about the, bo- the bottom line and the balance sheet. And there's no question that anything you do in a company is, is always focused on that. But what gets lost in the mix is culture, right? So one thing I'd say about culture is if you want to align your culture strongly, which is the first step, I always like to say you have to align the me, the we, and the enterprise, right? And the enterprise is the organization, and it sets the tone for where people are. And then there's the me, the individual. I think that part of the investment in building a great culture to drive innovation is coming up, it doesn't matter what tool you use, but having some sort of process. Because if I don't understand how I innovate, how I like to innovate, and how I interact with other people, and I don't understand myself, I can't work together in groups effectively as a we to drive the needs of the enterprise. So if you can align those three things, you start to get a much more systematic culture. However, when you, once you have that at Damon, we spent a lot of time training people to try to align that as best we could. We got pretty far. Um, a friend of mine has a, a, a tool that I like. It's called the ISPI, the Innovation Skills Preference Indicator. It's a very powerful way of doing it. It's really helped me in my career understand myself as I relate to other people, how I create, produce, learn, and interact. And my friend Bob Rosenfeld, who I met at Damon, help me bring that to the organization, number one. Number two, the other thing I would say is the, the, the main focus, the other mistake I think people make is as a head of innovation, it's easy to have an innovation team with 100 people in a corner and that leader has control and is accountable to drive new products, new services. That's not going to, you know, if you have an aligned culture, that's not going to drive the entire culture. It's going to make an us versus them kind of structure. And so one of the things I believe is, is the idea of, as an innovation leader, being what I call corporate accountable, but locally responsible. That's why I think it's funny. Corporate culture is such a, like, in fact, we were talking about the data analytics market. What's going to happen when all the data is optimized? The next frontier is going to be how do I optimize my people so I really understand them? That's coming in a few years. Like that, that I've always believed that that's the next phase. That gets at some of the answers to the questions we have. At some point, you're going to have to be able to have to be able to quantify your people in a way that produces the most synergy to drive the most either speed, innovation, yep. expertise, whatever it is. So meaning, okay, so we're going to have all these tools that are going to help us process and, and predict uh, what the data is telling us. So I, I just want to further understand your question. The next frontier is, so what do the people do now if we have machines and technology to do that? No, it's a little different. Okay, it's, go ahead. It's a little different. So <laughs> I'll, I'll start again. I'll go backwards to go forward. So sure. When you look at the rise of social data, that was really the democratization of marketing, right? P- individuals were able to market themselves with all these new, you know, new venues, I call them, of ways to reach people, right? You go back 50 years, if you wanted to market yourself, it was like the newspaper on television. There were very few, like large organizations controlled that. So as the, the information got democratized with social, with social media, you know, we were able to, up to the second, find out what people were saying about our brands. And my joke at the time was, when, when we have this giant command center with all this information, listening to everything everybody's saying down to the second, someone was going to stand up in the back one day and go, but when do we know it matters? Is right. it five seconds, two hours, or three days? Right? Yes, like, yeah. and, that, and that's where the analytics market's born. So now we're collecting all this data, and all this data helps us and all this math allows us to start to build intelligence layers, allows us to say, okay, these are the signals that matter to running mm-hmm. our business. So let's say that it's it's perfectly optimized, that everything that goes on in your business, right, 
you're you okay oh this happened okay do this okay right. this happened okay do that at the end of the day when we when we talk about people you still are not going you're not going to have machines running your whole business you're going to have to have people you know in in a lot of cases either executing making decisions like that part of the world may go away one day but not not yeah, yeah. so my point is if We've seen it in companies. You have some hotshot young person right. working for boss A, and they're like, oh, we want to teach them something. Let's move them to B. B is very different. They're going to mm-hmm. help them learn. And what happens? Hotshot disappears because boss B and hotshot A don't have the same profile and how right. they like to do things. So what I'm saying is we all have ways we produce, learn, interact, and create. And by starting to quantify and force ourselves to understand how we do that, we can better optimize the teams we build. We have to optimize our people from a standpoint of, you know, so the next level of analytics is going to be kind of more people analytics. Yes. Malcolm, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.